Fade to Gray family, you are no stranger to my boy Chad Johnson, and he knows something that you don't. Because if you're paying too much for your auto, home, life, or small business insurance without having your own agent you can trust to advise you correctly, then you are not living your best life. Insurance agent Chad Johnson has multiple companies to offer in these products and is licensed in Missouri, Illinois, Oklahoma, Kansas, Arkansas, and Iowa. All these places where Tornado Alley is, you know, it's tornado season, you're going to need insurance. Call or text message him at 417-421-2925 for a no-obligation quote on any of your insurance needs. Again, call or text message Chad Johnson at 417-421-2925. Don't forget to tell Chad that you heard about him on the podcast to receive a rate reduction. You've heard him on the podcast. You know he's a great guy. He's going to take care of you. Call him today. Ladies and idiots. This is the Fade to Gray podcast. Everything will be aces. Let's get faded, guys. Hell yeah. He has many, and I mean many, leather-bound books on shelves made of rich mahogany. Now you've heard of gay conversion therapy. Well, this is gray conversion therapy. I think you're going to like it. I'm not braver than you. I'm just drunker than you. And you're fabulous. You deserve to be told you're fabulous. What do you think about the podcast? It sucks. Nice. All right. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Fade to Gray. Welcome back, faders. On the roundtable today, we have Seth and we have Rhea from the Depth of Echoes. That's Depths of Echoes, not Death. If you can't understand my list, <laughs> I apologize. Um, and we have the pleasure of interviewing today with Elizabeth and Petters. Um, you might know that middle name from her father, uh, Pete Enns, who has a podcast called The Bible for Normal People. Elizabeth is a writer, blogger, has a website at elizabethpetters.com, and a 17-month-old who keeps her very busy at home. And uh, she had a great conversation recently on the Bible for Normal People podcast, and I reached out to her because her story was very compelling, and I wanted to hear more of it. So very excited to have you, Elizabeth. Welcome. Yeah, Welcome. thanks so much for having me. I think our first question, Seth, I was wanting to know something. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I just want to thank you so much for coming on uh, to our podcast. Um, and after hearing your story on your dad's podcast, I was so fascinated and I, I really want to hear more and I want to get to know you. And so I just want to hear from your perspective from like, a, you know, a 10,000 foot feet look down on your story. Um, tell us who who are you, Elizabeth Petters? Tell us your story. Oh, gosh, I could go on forever. Um, I think the main thing about me is I'm, um, I'm 28. Um, I've struggled with anxiety and depression my entire life. Um, and so a lot of who I am today, um, has been, has kind of grown out of that struggle. Um, and, um, right now I think my main mission is just to shed some light on mental health, um, in the church and to just kind of bring about some real conversation about that. That's just really important to me. So that's kind of um, what I would say my current calling is, or I feel like it is. Amen. That's some, yeah. <laughs> that's definitely needed. Um, just my experience working with uh, churches and organizations like religiously for uh, 10 plus years as an area that I've saw that has really been lacking. You know, a lot of times it's just 
you know, pray it out, you know, throw a Bible verse at it, the Philippians, you know, four, six, something along those lines. And, and, you know, just pray the scripture, believe that. And it, you know, if that doesn't work, then there's something wrong with you. You're not doing it right. So, um, there's been a real push and a trend with things that I've heard, uh, talked about, whether it been on our podcast and other podcasts, just for more of an awareness for like actual, like diagnoses, more of an awareness for like, where people are at and, and not just trying to say this, throw scripture at it and expect everybody to get better. Right. Um, so I'm very excited to, to, to get into all that. Um, what I want to know is like, so when, when in your life did you recognize that I'm not like everybody else or that, you know, like that you, you maybe didn't have a word for it knowing that this was anxiety, but when were you just like, like when was the first like freak out moment where, okay, this something's not right in how I'm processing things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I knew it early, early on, like probably a really young child, probably even before a lot of my memories that I have now. But I think probably around age eight was when I became very aware, I do not fit in anywhere. Um, And it actually happened at school. I had my first panic attack um, at age eight in third grade at school um, in an auditorium with a bunch of people. I had no idea what was going on. Um, and that I think for me was the first moment where, or tangible moment where I could say, whoa, like something's going on with me that is not going on with the 26 other eight-year-olds in my class. Um, and it was really scary. It was really, really scary. And the interesting thing is I, for somewhere along the line, I had already gotten the information that it wasn't okay to be different. And so when that happened, I was already afraid to be real about the fact that that had happened. Um, So that was just kind of an interesting, yeah, it was just a really interesting moment, I think, in my life. But I remember having having the panic attack and going up to my teacher um, and like lying about what had happened. Like there was so much shame at eight years old about Mm -hmm. this panic attack that I had had um, and I didn't even know like what it was, but somewhere in my little self, I knew this isn't normal. No one can know this happened. Mm. Whoa, that is a huge weight to carry. Absolutely. Um, like around what year was that? Like, uh, oh, what, yeah, no. So that would have been like 98, 1998. 98. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Just I'm just getting my bearings for like where we were. Yes. 1998. Yep. Yeah, cool. Okay. Wow. So mental health from, I would assume, most of your education around that or familiarity around that was through the church. And was that just through a very negative lens then that like having mental health concerns was wrong? Or did that panic attack, was that something you didn't know what it was and it was just so terrifying? Yeah, I think maybe a little bit of both. I mean, as an eight-year-old, I don't know that I was getting the message specifically about mental health, but I think I was somehow kind of getting a message um, from my community, which was largely the church, um, that it wasn't okay to be fearful, that it wasn't Mm. okay um, to have something going on with you that prayer wouldn't take care of. Um, And so there was some confusion. And I mean, for those of you who know my dad's story too, I mean, my parents at this point are – conservative Christians, uh, like when I was a child, I think, I mean, my dad was obviously, he he had his own journey, but um, that was kind of how I was raised in some more like fundamentalist Christian kind of. So um, 
you know, that's the message that I felt I was getting as a young kid. And so I think it came more from that area. I don't think it was till later on in my life that I really recognized mental health is something that isn't really talked about in this place. I think it was just sort of this general idea of fear is not okay. And kind of things that aren't normal are not okay and are not of God. Um, And so I just kind of, I hid from that a little bit. Um, And I think too, as my parents were processing what was going on with me, um, you know, I did sort of feel like I was getting the message from other adults that, yikes, what's wrong with your kid? Like, there's something really going on with her. Um, You know, like, shouldn't you do something about that? Like, does she need to be spanked more? Like, what, you know, what do you need to do about that? And so I was getting this message, fix her, fix her, fix her. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's rough for a little kid, you know? Like, it's almost shame. Absolutely. That you're dealing with. And at such a young age, I mean, I guess I identify with that so much. Um, cause I struggle with major depressive disorder, um, and have for, since I was like six when I was in a bad, really bad car wreck. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt a lot of those same messages and, um, I can only imagine, um, what your specific experience was like. And I'm, I'm excited to hear more. Um, were you an only child then? Elizabeth? No, no. I or... had two other siblings. So I have an older brother who's 31 and a sister who's 25. Um, so at that point, they were both, and, but my brother and my sister were always very different from me, um, or mm-hmm. at least I felt that they were. So, um, I mean, there was just a complete difference there and sort of some things that they were going through as kids and things that I was going through as, ki- as a kid. So it just, yeah. Because I have four kids personally, just talking about your your dad and the process of growing up in a fundamental Christian environment and and knowing that like, yes, every child is so different. My oldest being nine. So it's like a year older than your mm-hmm. first real panic attack. So I'm just imagining like, you know, and I'm sure you've talked to your father about this and, and now in his, I know his theology has changed since when you were a child, but I mean, what would that must have been like, you know, like having his pressures of having the his kids being well-behaved and having like a, to be a certain way. He's getting the same pressures that you're feeling. He's getting those as well. And he's also trying to like, he's trying to do his best you know, like as, just as a father, you know, you only get, you only have the tools that you've been given, you know, and if the tools that you've been given aren't working, you know, like, I mean, I can imagine that being like this devastating as a dad, like how, how, like I'm loving my daughter the same way I did my son, but mm-hmm. she's not receiving it the same way. It's not working. So what, what am I doing wrong? Absolutely. And my dad and I have a great relationship um, and we are very similar very, very similar. I think more than like either of my siblings. I am so much like my dad. And so I think there was this piece of it too, which, um, I mean, he's written about this before too and talked about this, but he, you know, he was having his own anxieties. And so the fact that I was having some of those anxieties and he couldn't stop it was terrifying for him. Um, yeah, it's a hard thing. I mean, mental illness is a hard thing. And, 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 you know, not to really call out the church, because I think that in some ways, there's just a lack of awareness and a lack of knowledge. And that's really what it is. Um, And I mean, my personal home church now, I think they have a way more open view of mental health than I had ever experienced. But that's not true everywhere, you know, and it's not true of, you know, you know, big C church as a whole. So um, yeah, more to talk about for sure. I was actually going to ask, like, so I have um, a nine-year-old, but he has anxiety too. And I was just wondering, what does an eight-year-old's panic attack look like? Like, what mm. did you experience in that moment? Like, what was going on in your body and like your mind? What happened mm. for you? If yeah. you, if it's too much to go back there, oh, it's gosh, totally no, okay. no, no. I'm kind of an open book at this point in my life. Um, 
Yeah, I it's interesting for me because my panic attacks have always been pretty internal. Um, which is also very interesting for me. Um, same idea, like having to hide things from the beginning, like can't have an open panic attack. So for me, what it would feel like is I would always feel like I was going to throw up like a hundred. That was like the first thing I'd always feel like I was going to throw up. Um, and I would always kind of feel like the world was ending, like something in my brain and my body just felt like the world was ending. Um, but at times when they were a little more intense, you know, there was the hyperventilating and there was like those kinds of feelings in your body, like you can't breathe. But, um, it's, I think it's really just this complete, this feeling of complete lack of control, um, is really the best way that I can experience. And, and even for me now as a 28 year old, who's, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years. I've had panic attacks for 20 years, you know, even when I get one. Um, I recover really quick, but it's just as terrifying in those first few moments as it was when I was a little kid who had no idea what was going on. I think that's Mm. probably a really important thing for people to remember about panic attacks. If you haven't had one, that perspective is really important. Um, Knowing that like every time, no matter how experienced you are, you still have to go through the same emotions at first. Yes. Um, So yeah, definitely a good reminder. Do you find that there's a specific trigger to your panic attacks or do they come randomly? Um, I think I have a lot of triggers for them, to be honest. Um, and I think I'm still learning what those are. Sometimes I have no idea like where that just came from. Um, a lot of my panic attacks are triggered by perfectionism, I think. So in, in, um, areas of my life where I feel like I need to perform, um, that's usually when I get them. Um, but it can be as simple as like going to the grocery store for whatever reason, I feel like everyone's looking at me and I just kind of freeze. Um, Mm. but I mean, gosh, if we would go through all my triggers, you guys would be here all day. There's a lot of them. (laughs) I was, I was curious if it had anything to do with your internal dialogue. Mm. I'm just kind of letting you know, I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Missouri and I work for, um, employee assistance program. Um, through an insurance company. And that's something I talk with people frequently um, is I've, I've found in, in working with people that um, a lot of times their panic attacks are triggered by negative thought patterns and things that they're telling themselves, like, I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be able to succeed. I'm not, they're not going to like me. And that ties in with perfectionism a lot. At least it did with me. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like, absolutely. There's an internal dialogue there for sure. Um yeah, and most of it does, yeah, it does surround kind of this perfectionism and this idea of I need to be a perfect human in order to be loved and accepted and, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, yeah. So there's definitely an internal dialogue there for sure. Um, but sometimes it's like sometimes you don't even know that you're thinking those things and then you take a step back and you're like, wow, I was just <laughs> really downing myself there for no reason. It's, you know, four o'clock on a Monday and I'm shopping for milk and you know here I'm in the grocery store and I think I can't do anything right like it just kind of comes out of nowhere and you don't really know how you got there but oh definitely Mm -hmm. negative internal dialogue for sure so listening to your story Elizabeth and talking about how your first attack was around eight years old um and and how just shocking to the core that must have been what point in your story would you say that that sort of kind of like leveled out or where you kind of found hope or how long because you just mentioned earlier how you still are dealing with panic attacks but you're maybe more aware when they may come or what your triggers might be or how to like talk yourself out of it or calm yourself down whatever process that that, that works for you 
Um, but at what age would you say, how long were you dealing with that where it was just kind of out of control, nothing was helping, like, you know, like prayer meetings, well, you know, I don't know if it laying on the hand, like whatever it might have been. What was it that you first found in your life where it's like, okay, there's hope to this. There's, there's, I can make it through this. Yeah. I think probably that, that um, time, like 17 years old when I went to wilderness and boarding school, I think that was the first kind of jolt to my hmm. system of like, okay there's something like I could maybe get through this or like there's something on the other side of this for sure. That was like a first glimpse of hope for me. Um, but in terms of when I really kind of was able to move through life without this intense weight on my shoulders, probably like five years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So there's two, two things there. Um, right. cause I definitely want to hear more about the boarding school. Is that the wilderness, wilderness mm-hmm. camp you spoke about? No, they, they were two separate things. Oh, like okay. one after another. <laughs> so let's, <laughs> But but before we jump there, okay, because really all we knew at this point is first anxiety attack was at age eight, <laughs> okay? Let's first focus in on what was that like growing up as a child in the church mm-hmm. and in the Christian circle. Let's hear about it. Did were, were you able to see a counselor? Were you ever able to process that, like receive actual psychiatric help, or was it all through church doctrine no i mean my parents did a pretty good job i think of kind of pulling from everywhere um so it wasn't just like you know people praying for me i mean there was a lot of that um but i saw quite a few um largely christian-based therapists um i did see a psychiatrist i was on medication as a child so there wasn't really that like oh gosh we gotta pray it away we can't my parents i mean my parents were very proactive about like let's let's figure this out like let's help her out um but I did see a few Christian counselors. Um, I see a Christian counselor now that I love. Um, but back then, the Christian counselors that I saw um, weren't great. <laughs> um, I saw one one guy. He was an older man. Sweet, 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 sweet. But I remember to this day, I was probably eight or nine when I saw him. I sat in front of that guy's desk and I lied and lied and lied. Like I didn't tell him a thing about what was actually going on. Um, and then I saw another Christian therapist, probably I was a little bit older, maybe 10, um, who like prayed over me the whole time. And I remember as a little kid just being like, this is bull. Like, this is not doing anything for me. Um, that's not therapy. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't helpful. So, and I mean, I went, I think I saw her maybe twice and most of my parents were like, yeah, this isn't really what, you know, what we needed it to be. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I also went to Christian schools. I think that was maybe more, um, where I saw this sort of lack of awareness and knowledge was more in my school than in church. I mean, we went to church like once a week. I mean, you know what I mean? In schools every day. And here I am this anxious kid. I'm anxious. Like I'm angry. I'm cursing people out. Like I was very like hostile um, because I was so terrified. And so I would have these interactions with teachers or interactions with the school counselor. And it's just sort of like, no one knows what to do with me. It's just kind of like, oh my gosh, like, what is this devil child like in our school? Um, so I think that's where I got probably more the message of this isn't okay. You are sick. Something is wrong. Um, was from where I was getting my education, which was also, um, like Christian based. And that, I mean, that was, I went to Christian schools until I was, um, in high school. So that was most of my younger years. 
So you were the rebel, huh? You were the girl that would, would <sighs> tell how it is. You wouldn't I was be afraid something. to let it. I was something. <laughs> yep, yep. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about anxiety and kids, especially. Like, I mean, definitely anxiety can manifest as like anger, belligerence when you're an adult too. But with a kid, it's not just being a brat. It's when you're the smallest human with the least amount of control and there is a war raging inside you, like you cope the best you can. And that might look like a really angry, bratty little kid. But I mean, I just had it the last weekend and I finally leveled with my son. I was like, dude, you're scared, right? About this situation. He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. But this thing over here that you're freaking out about and having a fit and all that stuff, that's not going to take this pain and this fear away. So you can let that go, you know, but it's it's really hard. And because as a parent, you want to, like, help them so bad, but um, you can't just, like, discipline it away. That's not how it works. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, it really is a science. Like, there's so much to learn. It's just – it's not as simple as just say this, do this. Um, it's It's a journey. And I think that's like what we're seeing missing um, in a lot of ways that mental health is addressed today, like both in the church, but not. I mean, all all mm-hmm. around, I would say there's just this lack of understanding and awareness of like, how do we really, how do we really, we really um, work through this, I guess. And I would even hesitate to say that because I'm not really sure it's about working through. I think it's about just learning to kind of navigate that piece of life, you know? That's true. Mm-hmm. It, I like how you say it's like a science because that really lines up with a lot of things that I think the way I look at it is basically we're just a big ball of drugs anyway. You know, all of us <laughs> have different like chemical reactions and different like endorphins and dopamine levels and, you know, and we're responding to like all this going on. Like again, referring to my nine-year-old who's like nine going on 17 now. Like, <laughs> she's just now getting like a lot of her emotions, a lot of different stuff. And like the other day she's like crying. I'm like, I'm like, why are you crying? She's like, I'm not. I'm like, you are. There's tears running down your face. She's like, like, I just don't know why I'm getting so angry. And that's when I was like, oh, yeah, she's like, she's hitting some emotion she's not used to. Things yeah. are, and then, that, and then now she's walking around and her facial expressions are just completely different. You know, it went from like this happy, bubbly girl to like, she's like serious all the time. I'm like, are you okay, Carmen? She's like, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm like, God help me. <laughs> but, but I think that's like super interesting. So, like, just that you're recognizing that there is a science to this, that it's not a one, like formula fits all. It's not like there's this medication and it's going to fit for everybody. Just as we were talking about, whether it be prayer, you know, that may work for some people like, you know, Philippians four, four through nine is my life first. But for other people, it's like something bring, that brings up it's a torturous and like nails on a chalkboard because it, they were used to like beat that verse over their head to act a certain way. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I mean, I pray all the time, but I also take prestique. You know what I mean? Like, so there's kind of this balance there. Like, you kind of got to find what works for you. And um, both are great, you know? So, yeah. 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 No, no combination on anything. But if it's, something's not working for you, maybe try something different. You know, like, yeah. what's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I really want to know about the wilderness school and <laughs> boarding camp. If, but I don't want to, if my, am I jumping ahead too soon still? <laughs> no, you're good. However, you just said the definition of anxiety <laughs> when you meant to say the definition oh, of insanity. Insanity, but that's okay. Yes, let's go to the boarding school. <laughs> I just, Thanks I just, I felt like we were rushing there for a second. So let's let's get there now. <laughs> let's hear about that boarding school experience. Oh gosh. Well, I first went to wilderness camp, um, so that was kind of the first step. 
Um, and that came after years of like eating disorder struggles, refusing to go to school, just a lot of anxiety. Like I couldn't leave my house for very many reasons, insomnia, just anxiety had taken over my life. Um, and my parents had tried a few different things. I was um, like hospitalized for a little while um, and just nothing really seemed to fit me and fit kind of like my diagnosis and what I was struggling with. Um, and so they finally um, found this wilderness camp in Georgia um, and sent me there. Um, so I took a plane to Georgia um, and hiked through the woods for, for two months. <laughs> um, and yeah, it was tough. Um, I mean, we could spend hours and hours and hours on that part of my story, um, for sure. So I don't know specifically what you guys are interested in, but, um, I mean, the basic idea is that they kind of strip you down to nothing, you know, and you're making your own food and you're hiking all day and you're sleeping in a tent and they take your boots at night so you can't run. And you really like all you have. It sounded like you got kidnapped the way you described it. The first time I heard it, they're like, they came and they picked you up against your will and forced you to this place (laughs) where you can't escape and hit your boots at night. I mean, it's prison. Yeah. I mean, so what, it's funny because I mean, what I tell parents now who ask me, you know, who are considering that for their child, I say, listen, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, but I've had to work through some major trauma about that experience. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. even looking back, I would say like that saved my life. But there is major trauma for sure. Um, like, I mean, I slept with my door locked for years and years and years and years. Like, even after my husband and I got married, I don't think it was even probably till till a few years ago where, like, we could leave the door open when we slept. Um, so, I mean, there's definitely major trauma there from that. Um, I mean, because your world is rocked. And, um, I mean, I think there was there was a core piece of me that trusted my parents and that knew they'd done their research, you know what I mean, in order to send me away. But... Um, it was hard. It was really, 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 really a hard experience. Life-changing for sure. Um, and I definitely would say it saved my life. But So hard. what's the philosophy behind somebody dealing with anxiety to that level and kidnapping them? Like how is that like breaking point type stuff or what's the philosophy behind like – Yeah, I mean that? I think so a lot of the girls that I was with in the camp struggled with some really intense like addiction stuff. Um, and just couldn't, couldn't get out of that pattern. And so even though I wasn't struggling with that stuff specifically, I was kind of struggling with my own like food issues. I was cutting. So there was some patterns that I couldn't get out of. Um, and I think my parents had met with a couple people who had, um, just basically said to them, like, she's got to get out of like this pattern of life or she's never, ever going to do anything different. Um, and that was definitely what I needed. Like there, that the life that I was living wasn't working and I needed something drastic to get out of it. So I think that's like the main idea behind it is like, this is a drastic change. You basically have to rethink everything in order to emotionally kind of survive. Um, and I was with like great people. I mean, like the staff there, they really were amazing and you really connected with them. There was a lot of positives, but I mean, not a lot of people want to live in a woods for two months and not shower. And I mean, you know, it's, it's not comfortable. So it really shifted everything for me. Um, I mean, everything, it shifted my eating patterns because I had to eat to survive these hikes every day. Like things that were, um, that were really easy for me, like coping skills that were really easy for me to fall back into, like at home. Um, I, I couldn't survive doing them out in the woods. So it kind of, it creates a space where you just, you can't live like you lived before. And so it really kind of, it, it begins a change, which, which was helpful. So if you 
had the opportunity since you're a parent now and you went through that experience it and you know it was really helpful for you in a lot of ways like what are there any things that you can look back and go oh I would tweak this and I would you know maybe uh, like implement this into the program to help it you know Mm -hmm. kids get through that portion is there anything that you would do differently as um, a parent now looking back at it like wilderness specifically you mean like the wilderness camp Yeah, I don't know. It's really kind of hard for me to think back on that just because the way that they, the harshness that they did it, I think helped me cope with it better. So it's, I mean, Mm -hmm. as much as I would like to say, well, I wish I, you know, might have been better for me to see my parents every weekend or whatever. I think the cutoff from the world is a, is huge. Like it it has to happen. Um, And to be honest, I mean, I look at my daughter now and I think if she's like me, which I'm pretty sure she is. Poor girl. But um, if she's like me, like, <laughs> would I send her to wilderness camp? And mm. I don't know if I can answer that question. Like, I, I've thought about it in my head. I think about it. And I think I like to think that I would because I know it saved my life. Um, but at the same time, like, I lived that. And so I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So yeah, yeah, it's hard. for sure. I mean, for me, I like look at stuff and I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe we can head it off a little earlier and maybe we can put better coping skills in place before it gets to that point. You know, that's the hope. But that's really interesting that you don't know for sure whether you would. But I'm glad to know that um, it seems like everything that was traumatizing was still still ended up being helpful or useful to you Mm -hmm. in the future for sure. Yeah, absolutely. My high school mentor growing up, he has four kids and they homeschooled all of them. And one of them got into drugs and they sent him to that camp. Hmm. So when you shared that you went there over anxiety, I was like, hold, hold, hold up. Because that almost was a punitive action. I mean, it was a punishment Mm -hmm. to go to that camp to Mm -hmm. get people's lives back in line. Mm -hmm. So to hear that you used it for anxiety... uh, As a counselor, I just, you know, that ruffles my skin a little bit because I, you know... you. There's nothing wrong with you for having anxiety. You shouldn't be punished for it. Right. Well, I think it, I think it depends on so many different things. I mean, I think at that point in my life, you know, I wasn't just a 17-year-old struggling with panic attacks. I mean, I was cutting. I wanted to die. You know, I, was, I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't leaving the house. I mean, I think there was, it, there was, there was I think, no other option the you needed something been exhausted. Yeah. Like right. Needed you needed something, something like, drastic. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think you're right in so many senses. Like, um, but I think also too, like a lot of the girls that I was in this camp with, like, I mean, they might've been doing drugs, but behind it all was the same exact stuff that I was going right. through. I That's had chosen good, good a different, point. like I had just chosen a different way of, of, um, coping. Fo- of coping. Yeah. So, I mean, it felt like a punishment as a 17-year-old, but I think as, an, as a 28-year-old looking in on it, um, I can say it was a last grasp attempt to save my life. And how long did the camp last? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was, was there it? for two months. So I don't. Okay. I think people weren't normally there for more than three, um, and it just depended a lot on kind of where they were going after and their treatment plan and that kind of thing, so... And did they have like a graduation thing? Or did they give you a certificate? Of yeah. Like, did yeah, you have to was... meet a certain criteria to really said, okay, she's better? Or well, I mean, I mean, obviously you knew you needed more help. So, um, I mean, there was a lot of different ways that they measured. I did have a therapist 
um, a therapist in the camp with me. Um, and there were levels that you could move up. You didn't have to be at a certain level to graduate, but, um, I'm very goal oriented. So I just like did all the levels because I needed to be the best and perfect and whatever. Um, but graduation was most, it was mostly based on like, is there a plan when you get out of here? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, most of the time people didn't leave before two months because it was just that was kind of the basis of the program. Like you need really two solid months here um, to kind of reset some of those patterns. Um, But a lot of it was based on kind of like what was the treatment plan for leaving. And for a lot of the girls, the idea behind it was that you would go to a boarding school afterwards um, to kind of like continue what you had, what wilderness camp had kind of shocked into your system to kind of like keep that going. So do they recommend ones to you guys or was like a brochure package you guys could look through so you kind of knew? I mean, so you knew where yeah, you were going yeah. or what my options were when I leave here? My my parents had like an educational advisor that they saw um, and they actually visited a bunch of schools. They were like really diligent with that. Um, I, I mean, there was a school that I had heard of from other girls who went there and I had said to my parents, like, do not send me to this school for the love of God. Um, so I had that kind of input into it. Um, but they, yeah, they basically, they looked around and they found the one that they felt was like the absolute best. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of say in that. I really wanted to come home. I really, really wanted to come home. But I remember when I got the letter from my parents saying I was going to this school, I remember feeling like this overwhelming peace that this was the right thing for me, even though I was completely devastated. Hmm. Mm, and wow. that school lasted for how long? I was there um, until I graduated high school. So I was there for like 16 or 17 months. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier that that's where things started to really turn around. So like for giving you hope. And was that also a faith-based boarding school? No, the boarding school was not faith-based, um, which was great. That was really helpful for me. I think I needed to find some real emotional healing Um, just sort of like outside of that realm of faith completely. So, I mean, I still had this kind of like core draw to Jesus. I still sort of believed that he was there and good. And so I kind of still had that going on my own. Um, But I just didn't really have, there was really no one else there who was doing that with me. And so it was, that was really healthy for me um, to just, to just be able to focus on the emotional part of things and not have people like, throwing Jesus into everything. That was really helpful. Yeah, that, make, that yeah. makes sense. Would you say that like for people who are wired more anxiously or with, you know, different types of self-esteem issues or mental illnesses and stuff that from your perspective, do you think sometimes that message if not handled correctly like scripture can be really harmful and devastating to people who are kind of wired differently? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I have had people say to me, if you had faith, like if you really, really believed this wouldn't, this wouldn't be an issue for you. Or, um, you know, I've had people say like, why are you worrying? Like, don't you believe in God? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really would consider myself like in love with Jesus. You know what I mean? In so many ways, not that I don't doubt or struggle. I mean, for people who know me, I'm pretty open about having no clue what's going on most of the time. Um, (laughs) but I, I really, I do feel like that's true of who I am. I have this kind of like hope, um, hope in that. 
but I really struggle with anxiety and I really struggle with fear on a daily basis. Like that's just what it is. Um, so I think to, to say that those two can't be happening at the same time, um, that is just, I just don't think that's okay. And I think then we create a culture of shame and Mm -hmm. then there's more issues and no one gets really real healing. Um, when the message is, well, if you were doing more, you know, and that's, I mean, that's ultimately, I don't think the message that God has for us anyway. So. Right. Yeah. I think that it can definitely, um, drive people underground so people can't even share what's going on. And then, you know, when we drive people underground, they suffer alone and there's gets less and less options. And, you know, there's a reason that the suicide rates are going up. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Devastating. Yeah. Doesn't need to be like that. Does not need to be like that. So I bet you're a big fan of John Piper and everything (laughs) that Desire and God puts out there then I'm sure. Gotta gotta love those those little tweets that they like to send out. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Seth, did you have something? Oh, you just said John Piper and that took me back. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's why you guys deaf with social media. That's not good for anxiety. I don't even (laughs) deal with clinical anxiety and I know that I know to stay off of social media every once in a while just to keep myself sane. Yeah, I mean, you definitely have to have like good boundaries with it. But for me, I mean, social media is huge for me because I feel like social media is where I can really share like, hey, this is what's going on. This is who I am. Like life's really Mm -hmm. hard. You know, I mean, that's where I feel like I can be kind of the, the most real and people can really pick up on it um so yeah it's a balance for sure definitely absolutely that's something that i think um that gets missed is that while social media can be really hard for people with anxiety or mental illnesses it can also be the one place they feel safe because you have a level of protection whatever level of anonymity that you need and you can actually like share little bits and get more comfortable because talking to people in real life about this stuff can be really difficult because you're face to face with someone who could reject you. And that's why our Marco Polo group is so great. The community there. (laughs) So we can have these great face to face conversations and never have to leave your man cave or your, is it your she shed, whichever one it might be. She shed. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For sure. What do you think having gone through this experience and kind of coming to terms with, with having anxiety and, and working all of that out with your faith, what what would be like the number one thing that you feel like you've learned about yourself or about the experience? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think probably the most life-changing thing that I've learned um, is that life is really just a journey and there's nowhere that I need to get to there's just stuff to learn. Um, and that's been huge. And I think that's like, I mean, that's, that's true of, of my faith and also just of my life in general. I think there's, there's stuff to learn and there's wisdom to find. And there's, there's just, there's so much out there, but there's, it's less of a right wrong game. And I think that I played that my entire life. This is right. This is wrong. This is right. This is wrong. Um, and I mean, God's redeemed everything that I've done, you know, and will continue to do as I mess up for the rest of my life. And, that's really freeing. You know, I think when you stop playing that right wrong game and you stop kind of wondering if you're doing enough, um, you can just really rest. And I think that's the lesson there. So it's more of like kind of like a self-awareness has been really huge through this whole journey probably then. Yeah. The biggest thing that you learned is you're more about yourself. Yeah. I mean, self-awareness for me has been key to connecting to my faith. 
Um, And I think it's a piece that a lot of people miss. I mean, I think that we're told so often in our Christian walk, you know, know God and study his word. And, and those things are, are all great and important, but we miss this piece of him living in us and the importance it is of knowing who he's made us and, um, how he's working in us and all of those things. And so a huge part of my journey, and I think the most healing that I found in the last four or five years has really, really been getting to know myself um, through all, like through all sorts of different ways and all sorts of different outlets, but just knowing who I am. And I think that's completely strengthened my faith more than anything else has, you know, more than, more than church, more than reading my Bible. I mean, yeah, people are going to hate me for saying that, but tr- it's true. I mean, knowing well, I, can, myself- I can hear it when you talk for sure. I can hear the confidence. I can hear like the, mm-hmm. the knowing, like, you know, like, okay, I have a lot to learn in a lot of areas, but at the same time, the things that I've walked to, like, you can just hear the confidence in, in your faith, in, in your relationship with God, in your relationship with your family, just like, and it comes from, like you said, knowing yourself, like yeah, a lot of times, yeah. like we're trying to like be somebody else that we, I mean, maybe even like a good image, we're trying to uphold that, but it, well, it's never obtainable. And those are the things that like make uh, things like faith and, you know, identity just fragile because it's, it's just, it becomes a fearful thing. And it even seems like, um, like maybe, I'm, I mean, I'm no clinical psychiatrist. I have no master's degree, Seth. But just listen to you guys' your journey, and it seems like that is so huge that even at eight years old, you know, if you were just more self-aware, like, and it's it's hard for us to teach that, like, like no, no shame on parents, and like I'm a parent myself, so I know I'm screwing my kids up as well. But like, it, but if we if we're just able to to reinforce, you know, you are okay. You know, you know, like you're. It's okay to be dealing with these emotions. It's okay to be dealing with with this fear. You know, so you don't have to try to make it into something else. You know, and it seems like a lot of times we're not taught that, and then we become adults, and we're we're still battling these same patterns. We're still like reacting and responding like from basically as, as a child, because we still don't know who we really are. Right. And we're still responding. I think it's all about like support the journey, support the journey, support the journey, support the journey. Like that's, that's what it is. Um, and that's what it comes down to because you're right. You can't teach that. You can't teach self-awareness to an eight-year-old. No eight-year-old should really have that. I mean, that's, it's just part of their, their children. They're teeny tiny. I mean, have you seen an eight-year-old recently? I mean, well, you have, you're a nine-year-old, but they're like, they're little. I mean, so, I mean, it's not something that you can teach. It's really just, I think, creating mm. space that's good to journey and for them to figure it out for themselves you know and that might look like going to wilderness camp i mean that might look like a thousand different things but for me i mean that's part of my journey and here i am you know a total mess still in a lot of ways but i know who i am you know the messy and the good i know all of it i know exactly who i am um and I wouldn't have if I wouldn't have experienced those things. And so, I mean, the journey is just really, really, really important. As scary as it, I think it can be, I mean, I'm a parent of a young one, so I haven't hit some huge stuff yet. But I think as scary as it even is, you know, just in general for me raising my kid, um, I know it's only going to get scarier. And I just keep telling myself, like, support the journey, support the journey. And I love it's that. out of my hands. But yeah. Yeah, that's really good. And you definitely should do more writing. Get your book out there. I love the way you said that. I was definitely stumbling through my words. Apologize for that, but support <laughs> the support the journey. No, that's perfect. I love that. I'm going to steal that. That's really all we can do. I mean, well, that's... don't steal that. 
That's mine. <laughs> I will, I will credit, I'll yeah, credit you. You credit yes, me, yeah. but you can use it. <laughs> there we go. There yeah. we go. Thank you. Yeah. Get the rights. To kind of wrap things up, there's two things I wanted to ask you. What are the number one coping skills that you use to manage day to day? Which I think you've, we've honestly, I think you've addressed it already, but I kind of want to just t- retouch on that, on what works for you. Mm-hmm. And then two, what would you tell someone who's going through the signs and symptoms of anxiety or depression or a mental health concern? What, what wisdom would you have to give them? You know? Yeah. When they're young, because because we don't know who this podcast is going to reach. Right. It could reach a lot of people, right. you know. And I think any time that we have someone listen, I I want to make sure we point them in the right direction. So yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of coping skills for myself, um, alone time is huge for me, um, and I think that can be a little bit of a hard thing. I mean, we have a, we have a young kid. My husband's working. Like sometimes I'm sacrificing time for us together or time with my daughter, but daily alone time for me is huge. And whether that's with a book or um, working out really big for me, like running or swimming, um, but just being alone with my thoughts, kind of collecting myself. If I don't have alone time during the day, I kind of feel myself losing it. Um, And that's just something that I've learned about myself and my husband now knows about myself. So it's like, hey, dude, I've seen you for one minute today. Sorry, I'm going upstairs. Like, I just need to, you know? Um, that I think is my, that's my main, main coping skill. I also, um, I mean, it took me a while to get there, but talking to people is really big. I have like a few core people that I feel like I can share some real stuff with. Um, and that's been really important to me, like having other friends who are going through kind of similar things. And I can say, I like can't mom today. Like I literally think that I can't do like someone come get her, you know, just being mm-hmm. able to be honest about where I am and what I'm struggling with. Honesty has been really, really big for me. And it's really, really scary. I have these things that I call like vulnerability hangovers where I've like shared a, shared a lot of myself with people and then I'm freaking yes. out. Um, but that's been really, really healing for me too. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of advice, um, Something that I kind of say to myself a lot is like, is just baby steps. Like what's that next mm. step, which is really, really important for people struggling with anxiety, especially if you're struggling with anxiety, that's like keeping you from doing things, which is um, kind of my, my history. Um, but like, what's the next step? Like, do you need to make yourself a sandwich? You know, do you just need to take that one step out of bed? Like, not how do I get to work today? How do I do all these things? But just what's right. that mm-hmm. next step? Um, and I think that's huge too, even for, for parents that are kind of struggling with knowing exactly how to kind of fix what's going on in their child, you know, like they're scared and, um, just like, what's the next step? Like, do you go in there and give them a hug? Do you slide a candy bar under their door? Like what's that (sighs) next step? Because I think otherwise it can become so completely overwhelming. Um, and then I would also say, Find someone who's knowledgeable, like really, really knowledgeable, either someone who's gone through it, somebody who um, has gone through it and has a master's, like that's even better. Um, But find somebody who knows what they're talking about, who you really, really trust, who can like usher you through either what you're going through or what a family member is going through. Um, Yeah, it's huge too. The research is, is stating that the number one protective factor against suicide and uh, you know, severe mental health concerns that get out of control is a support system. Mm-hmm. It is the number one protective factor 
It's huge. Yeah. So I'm really happy you mentioned that. Um, and thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, this absolutely. Yeah, you discussion. did great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks yeah. so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'll have to have her on Depth of Echoes. Yeah, let me know. <laughs> Hit me up. Yeah, for sure. So my entry is like I have my husband has schizoaffective disorder. Okay. So psychosis and all that stuff. Yeah. It's it's interesting. So it'd be really great to talk to you and get to know you more and hear more about your story for sure. Because yeah. um, I also have a little guy with anxiety and my stuff didn't start till later in life. And so I love just being able to hear from people and see what worked for them and all that. So I'm definitely looking forward to talking to you again for yeah, sure. Yeah, I love that. Any other plugs uh, that we might have mentioned? Anything you have coming up? Any place people want to follow you? Get you get you out there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, people can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, Twitter is ee petters and Instagram's Elizabeth Petters. You can follow me there. Um, I just do kind of some real stuff there, and and obviously my blog, like you mentioned, elizabethpetters.com. Um, I don't really have anything coming up right now, um, but stay tuned because there are just kind of some things in the works, and um, just kind of getting my feet here, and really just trying to follow this kind of calling that I have right now to just be real and be real in front of people and kind of see what happens. Awesome. Yeah, you're a natural. You <laughs> thanks. thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Awesome. What is up, Fade to Gray family? This is Chris, and I want to talk to you about something we've been telling you about all season long, and that's Brian from BoundlessFinancialSolutions.com. He can help you set up a budget, learn how to invest your money, and even help you understand your retirement. And they don't just work with individuals. They work with businesses and nonprofits as well. What's awesome is that they're never going to cold call you or spam your email. You tell them your needs, your hopes, and dreams, and they will provide you with their best options at your convenience. Listeners of Fade to Gray can call 413-977-9967 and ask for Brian, or you can email him directly at brian at bfs-team.com. And that's Brian with an I. And mention the podcast to receive a free consultation. That's hundreds of dollars in value. Services are available or licensed. Look, you have no excuse not to get your finances in order. Visit BoundlessFinancialSolutions.com and let them remove your financial fears today.